This is an ABC podcast. So Norman, I had to be very brave yesterday and get a needle. Did you? Yes. It's flu season. Yay? Question mark. So I got my flu shot and um, just excited to be protected against another respiratory virus. And your kids? They're next in line after me. I get it through work, which uh, I feel pretty lucky about. I've got to be organised, though, to be a good parent. <laughs> right. So you, you're, you're taking it you know, on the chin. So set an example for them. It's good. That's right. Taking it in the deltoid. Lollipops tomorrow. Well, let's do a show all about a different virus, the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's May the 4th, 2022. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> so, Norman, I thought maybe we could do a bit of a cheery coronacast today, although I'm pretty sure I know which way it's going to go once you start talking. I was thinking about how much better we were at protecting people against the coronavirus than we were, say, at the beginning of the pandemic. In 2020, we know better how to treat it. We've got vaccines that protect against it. And recently, just in the last week, there's been a really effective treatment that has been put on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme here in Australia, which is um, Paxlovid by Pfizer. And so it made me wonder just how likely... I, you, someone in Australia is to die of COVID compared to, say, a year ago or two years ago? This year so far, we've had 5,000 deaths. That's 5,000 deaths in four months, just a little bit over four months. In an average flu season, which is, again, four or five months, we would have 1,000 deaths. So it's five, five times more deaths so far this year than the average flu season. And COVID really doesn't have a season, although we could get worse in winter. Um, so that's going to continue. There's no, so not showing any signs of relenting. An average, a daily average of about 30-odd deaths a day. 306 deaths in 2020, 1330 deaths in 2021, when we didn't have much virus around because of lockdown. So you can say, well, what's the rate of deaths? Well, the rate of deaths, of course, is lower, but the number of deaths is higher. So you can play around with statistics, but the reality is you've got more chance of dying this year than at any other time during the pandemic. And it's it's a worry. There are 3,000 people in hospital, 100-odd in ICU. And I'm getting texts from people I know in the public hospital system saying it's stretched and they're worried about BA4 and the new variants coming out that are going to be more contagious coming through. But per 100, per 1,000 people with COVID, it's much less serious because most people are vaccinated or they've had a previous infection but there's still a lot of people dying. So that's a pretty grim picture, but how would it have compared if, say, the Omicron variant that we're dealing with at the moment had come out in an unvaccinated population in 2020 at the rates that we're seeing it at the moment? Well, we know the answer to that question because that's what Britain did with the ancestral virus, the um, Wuhan virus. So they effectively, for a while, let it rip before they went to lockdown. And from memory, about 45,000 people died. And so they've got about, you know, two and a half times the population. So in a period of four or five months, let's say 20,000 people would have died in Australia. So what aren't we doing? What could we be doing that we're not doing that would, be, that would reduce this, this number of deaths that we're seeing at the moment? Well, first thing is to care about it. 30-odd people dying on a seven-day average per day, 5,000 this year. This is a lot of people who are dying, 5,000 people. Just imagine them lined up and we're not talking about it. We don't seem to care about it as a community. I know we'll get lots of texts and emails about that, but you know, people do, Coronacast listeners do. But the reality is we're not drawing attention to this and we're relieved that we're out and about and we're not having masks anymore. 
and we just accept this this fact. And the people who are dying, we don't actually know exactly who's dying, but there'll be the vulnerable, the immune, the immune deficient, there'll be people who are elderly and not fully vaccinated, or the unvaccinated, who are still, there's still plenty of them around, just that we've done very well in getting high levels of vaccination in the community. So we're not perfectly protected. So we need to care about it. But there is a game changer. And the game changer is that we've now got anti-COVID-19, antivirals, which do work very well. Well, one of them works particularly well, Paxlovid, which has just been approved for the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. What does it mean that it's on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme? Because it was actually approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration a couple of months ago, but now is it? it's more accessible now? Yes. Previously, it was on emergency approval. Um, it was awkward for the, the system for GPs and patients getting access to the drug was awkward because it wasn't part of the regular system. Now it's there for a pharmaceutical benefits scheme. The GP can write out a script on a standard script form or electronic script and your pharmacy will uh, issue it um, and you, you pay a copay, presumably, as part of that. I don't know what the copay would be. In other words, the amount of money you pay out of your own pocket. So it's much easier to access in a standard way, the way you get your regular medications. It sounds a bit like an ad for Paxlovid. Are there other drugs that are, that are similarly effective? No, um, not according to the Monash group who surveyed the evidence. The Molnupiravir, which is the competitor product, is not as effective as Paxlovid according to the clinical trials. In fact, some people would say that Molnupiravir doesn't work at all, although the manufacturer of that would contest that and say that when they've reanalyzed their findings, it does work a bit. And there's been some other post hoc studies which suggest that it reduces your chance of transmitting infection. So it's not useless, but the Paxlovid does appear on the recommendations of the people who looked at the evidence to be the better drug. So let's just dissect all this. First of all, we've dismantled the, uh, any restrictions. And a lot of people are relieved about that. But we don't seem to be talking very much anymore about ventilation. If another variant comes along, we've not done a lot about ventilation. Some jurisdictions have done a bit in schools. Mask wearing has reduced. Are we prepared to go back to mask wearing? Uh, people who feel vulnerable are out there wearing masks in public, which is a good, good idea. But then it's getting access to these, uh, to these antivirals. And so that means that people aged over 18 who are at high risk of moving on to hospitalisation and serious disease should be getting Paxlovid in the first five days after they're symptomatic. And that will save lives, um, according to the clinical trials. And so people should not just be sitting on their COVID symptoms and being brave. They should be coming forward for scripts to their GP. Because you have to take it within the five days of getting symptoms for it to be effective. And you need to test positive. Okay, Norman, so let's try to reduce this number of deaths that you're talking about. We've seen 5,000 deaths this year. It's not good enough. What's the system then for someone who tests positive? Perhaps they don't have a GP or that they maybe they're not sure if they're at high risk and they, they need to be accessing this treatment. It's really important. I mean, this is post hoc again. It's really important you have your own GP somebody you like and you go to regularly, not just your local 24-hour clinic who you could be seeing anybody. So getting your own GP is really, really important. Now, in many parts of Australia, particularly rural and regional, there's a shortage of general practitioners and their books are closed. So it is tough. And all you can hope is that general practices throughout Australia, their receptionists are sensitive to this. And if somebody's been to that practice before and they're COVID positive, that there is a route through that general practice to um, to get your your treatment, there are also GP respiratory clinics around that are designed to look after people with uh, you know to 
you know, deal with COVID. And I don't know whether they're streamlining themselves to actually prescribe an antiviral, but that's another route. It's not easy. And in fact, on Monday night on Radio National Drive, the president of the Royal Australian College of GPs was on talking about just these barriers and how to get over them. But um, it is a problem in parts of Australia where there are there is a shortage of GPs. So there's a couple of prongs that we need to address here. It's access to the treatment if people get it and they're at high risk of severe disease, but also those things that we've been doing for such a long time now, good vaccination coverage, good ventilation, and thinking about those public health and social measures like masks and social distancing in places where there's a lot of virus around. Yeah, and I think that aged care organisations, whether that's looking after people in their home or looking after or people who look at, are looking after people in residential aged care, they should have organised what they're going to do when somebody is COVID positive and organising for prescriptions to be written so that they can get treatment because that is the really high risk group. Okay, so like, can we just recap on Paxlovid specifically? Who are the people who are most eligible for it? Here is what the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme says. Adults who have mild to moderate COVID-19 confirmed by a PCR or a medically verified rapid antigen test can start treatment within five days of symptom onset and a doctor or a nurse practitioner, interestingly, can prescribe. So that if they're 65 years of age or older with two other risk factors for severe disease because age is a risk factor. People who are over 75 years or older only have to have one other risk factor. Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who are 55, who are 50 years age or older with two other risk factors for severe disease and people who are moderately to severely immunocompromised. So that's the group. We've actually had a few questions about Paxlovid, Norman, and one of the questions was, is it available in Australia non-PBS if you're willing to pay and you don't qualify for a script? Um, it's a really um, difficult question, the, um, whether or not it's really up to your GP, whether they're prepared to prescribe off-label on a private script so that you can, uh, you can buy it over the counter. It's not a good public health option because you don't want overuse of Paxlovid. You want it to go to people who really need it because you don't want resistance to actually occur in the community. People may ask, well, I'm going to travel overseas you know, it's, it's not an easy question to answer. But the rules would say no. So you mentioned resistance there. That's the idea of the virus building up resistance to the antiviral drug in a similar way to antibiotic resistance in bacteria. What about supply? Is that likely to be an issue here in Australia? I don't think so. I think they've got plenty of supply at the moment. Well, that's good to know. And that's all we've got time for on Coronacast, but we'll be back in your feed next Wednesday. See you then. See ya. See ya. 